Welcome back to episode 18 of the Game Biz Podcast. I'm your host, Poe. We got a lot of earnings reports to cover this week, but I think I'll start with Nintendo's earnings, which I've cut out from last week because that episode was getting way too long. So following the trend of its quarterly earnings reports last time, Nintendo has had a record year in profits. In part thanks to the pandemic boost in gaming, its success of the Switch, and the first party titles such as Animal Crossing. Here's some data breakdown from industry analyst Daniel Maud, taken from his Twitter. Nintendo reported annual revenue of $16.59 billion, up 34.4% year over year, highest since fiscal year of 08 and 09. Operating profit was $6.04 billion, up 81.8% year over year, and this is the highest operating profit the company has ever recorded. The Nintendo Switch has sold 84.59 million units just after 49 months on the market, 69.84 million for the original Switch and 14.7 million for the Switch Lite. This means the Switch is selling faster than both the Wii and PS4 when aligned with launch times. The trajectory will be surpassing the 100 million million unit milestone faster than Wii and PS4. Total software sell in the console has reached 587.12 million units. Nintendo sold approximately 28.83 million units in hardware and 230.9 million units of software in the past fiscal year. Nintendo is forecasting a decline in both revenue and profit for the current fiscal year ending March 31st, 2022. This is primarily due to a tough comparison to the prior year, which had the positive impact due to COVID-19 stay-at-home period, plus the release of the you know its hit software such as Animal Crossing. Nintendo expects hardware sales to be 25.5 million this fiscal year, down 11.5% year-over-year. Software sales are expected to be around 190 million units, down 17.7% year-over-year. Some risk due to Global chip shortage could lead to lower shipments, it commented. No Animal Crossing size like games hit this year, it seems, so far. We have to wait until E3, of course, to know more. Interestingly, Nintendo continues to invest heavily in R&D. In fiscal year uh, 2020-2021, it spent approximately $880 million on R&D, more than any prior year. Note, this is only 5.3% of total revenue spent, which is a lower percentage than prior years because of its strong revenue growth. And what this means, uh, in my opinion, is that the Switch Pro and at least more games uh, for the Switch is definitely being developed right now. Uh, Given Nintendo's own forecast of earnings for this year, which is lower than last year, tells me that we won't be getting a Switch Pro this year. I know the reason cited was the was the fact that there's no COVID boost, uh, no stay at home right now. But Nintendo also outlined that 51% of their revenue is made from their hardware sales, and I would think that the Switch Pro would be very much a boost in the hardware sales part. Also, the global chip shortage may mean a delay for the launch of the Switch Pro because it may turn into a worse situation than what is occurring right now with the PS5 and Xbox Series X consoles. Up next, we have Ubisoft's earnings, and here's how they performed. Ubisoft reported total net bookings of 2.24 billion euros, up 46.1% year-over-year for the year ending March 31st, 2021. 
digital was 1.6 billion dollars billion euros up to 26 27.6 percent year over year or 72 percent of the total ps4 ps5 accounted for 33 percent of ubisoft's net bookings in fiscal year 21 compared to 30 percent last year xbox platform is 21 percent compared to 16 percent last year switch is 11 percent compared to 9 percent last year pc is 23 percent compared to 28% last year, and mobile is 8% compared to 11% last year. So basically all console sales grew while the PC and mobile dipped. Let's continue with some games and player data. 141 million unique players on PC and consoles, which is up 20% year over year. Assassin's Creed franchise revenue is up 50% year over year. The division hits 40 million players. Far Cry 6, Rainbow Six Quarantine, Working Title, Riders Republic, Division Heartland, Roller Champions, and other smaller titles are planned to, re- to be released before March 31st, 2021. Skull and Bones will release in the year between April 1st, 2022 and March 31st, 2023. This game was first revealed during E3 2017, originally scheduled for late 2018, but now it's been delayed for four consecutive years, so whatever is going on with this game, it isn't good. They must have started and scrapped plans over and over again, IMO. During the conference call, we got this. Record year for Assassin's Creed, best year since 2012-2013 fiscal year. Net bookings up 50% year over year for the Assassin's Creed franchise. Valhalla is the fastest selling in the series. Um, Granted, uh, it was released for next gen, so... There you go. Immortals, Phoenix Rising, seeing healthy sell-through, especially on Switch. Rainbow Six Siege continues to be one of the top 10 most played PC-slash-console games, including free-to-play titles. Double-digit player acquisition growth, record uh, viewership for esports leagues. Um, Rainbow Six Quarantine, again, working title, still planned to be released uh, this fiscal year. Prince of Persia, Sands of Time remake to be released before March 31st. 2022, focus on deeper and more diverse lineup of premium games plus free-to-play games for console, PC, and mobile. Now, this led to an article from VGC stating that Ubisoft is switching away from its traditional strategy of releasing three to four premium AAA titles each year to launch high-end free-to-play games instead. Later on, we actually got clarification that this is not a replacement strategy, but actually an additive one. Posted on Twitter, one of the Ubisoft's senior analysts claimed that the company's um, comments were in reference to, quote, free-to-play becoming a larger share of the revenue pie, not an indication that there would be less traditional paid games like Assassin's Creed. The content mix is expanding, not changing. A good comparison is the evolution of Call of Duty since Warzone. I mostly wanted to steer the conversation away from free-to-play games are replacing AAA play paid games to Free play is going to be an additional way to experience some of these IPs. This fits the description of what they're planning to do with Division Heartland, which is the future free-to-play standalone game and another mobile Division title, as well as continuing the Division games with new content releases. Also, continuing on, focus on Assassin's Creed will build on top of the RPG recipe seen in recent games. Far Cry 5 outsold Far Cry 4 by nearly 50%, one of the best-selling last-gen games for Ubisoft. 
Far Cry 6 and Rainbow Six Quarantine still expect to be launched before the end of September 2021. Lastly, a comment of my own is that remember, all these tentative titles may or may not get changed around in the near future due to pandemic woes. All right, next news item. I was actually going to, so I was going to talk about EA earnings, but honestly, it's quite boring after reading it and doing three earnings report in a week also seemed quite boring. <laughs> so I'm just going to skip to my last news item and probably also the biggest news item of the week. We got another art, our, uh, we got another word article on PS5 titled the PlayStation 5 is starting to look like the revolution it promised. I'm just going to be taking out some of the interesting details from the article. Uh, but I highly recommend everyone to give the article a good read. I'll be posting the link in the show notes. So in a call with Jim Ryan, he says that PS5 will be seeing a production ramp up over the summer and certainly into the second half of the year. They also hope to see some sort of return to normality in terms of the balance between supply and demand during the, that period. As you guys know uh, by now that the pandemic messed with global supply chains and manufacturing progress. Plus, the semiconductor uh, shortages is really hampering with the supply of fresh consoles. Plus, the super high-end demand of PS5 means that every PS5 out there is already sold out, either by actual good buyers or scumbag scalpers. Hearing that a supply increase is likely to happen second half of the year will be good for people still dying to get their hands on one but couldn't. It's also good for PlayStation since I'm pretty sure they want to boost their quarterly earnings and seeing how we are just starting to get more PS5 only exclusives in the second half of the year. Started out with Returnal out already and we're going to get Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart in June. It would be nice for Sony to try to get as many PS5 consoles out there as they can make them. Also, according to Herman Holst, PlayStation Studios has more than 25 titles in development for the PlayStation 5, nearly half of which are entirely new IP. Quote, there are incredible amount of variety originating from different regions, big, small, uh, different genres, end quote. This is welcoming news to get since we know that PlayStation now is working on 25 game titles under that PlayStation Studios banner. What's cool to know is that nearly half of it, so, you know, like 10 to 12, will be new IP. And to me, this counteracts those naysayers of um, PlayStation saying that they don't know what it takes to take risk, which is bullshit to begin with. You know, they, they like to take that one Jason Schreier article on Sony being risk averse with game choices to just mean Sony doesn't take risks at all. Here's the thing. Give credit where it is due, and the fact is, PlayStation is still the market leader overall, and being more calculative and better planning with where money is spent um, will come a long way for anyone doing their finances. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Uh, this doesn't mean to say that these new IP will be uh, like indie games. People are criticizing Sony to not be made anymore, like those from PS3 eras, like uh, those from. Uh, Japan studio that kind of got shuttered recently and guess what that's that's fair criticism uh, in my opinion and no I don't think any of these new IP will be quite like those games it's just my guess Uh, I think there are uh, indies but it'll be more represented by games like Kena Bridge of Spirits which PlayStation has made a partnership with and speaking of Kena 
The article also mentioned in a comment that the studio's next game after Kena will be working to take advantage of the PS5 even more than Kena, and that that is the end of the news section. So I'm just going to take a quick break. I'm going to come back with the topic of the week. So for this week's topic, I'm going to be talking about the Xbox Game Pass. Specifically, I'm going to be asking myself. Whether or not is、uh, Game Pass's success going to be a problem, and let me elaborate more on this. So I think by now we all know that Game Pass is a success. Microsoft has been touting numbers, which you know they haven't been doing doing for their consoles for quite some time now. So just by that metric alone, we know Game Pass、uh, is a success. Game Pass subscriber count is now twenty three million strong and counting. It presents itself as a stable revenue for Xbox and an overwhelmingly amazing deal for consumers. So this seems like a win-win for Xbox and consumers. What could be the problem then? You might be asking. Well, last week we got sales numbers for Resident Evil Village over in the UK, and I want to specifically point out the distribution of the games、uh, sold for the consoles, according to GFK Entertainment. RE Village sold 49% of its copies on PS5, 31% on PS4, and 20% on Xbox. If you add up the PlayStation console sales as one, that would mean 80% of RE8 was sold to PlayStation. Let me point out some caveats first before continuing. Yes, this is only one data point. It would definitely be nice to have more data for more games sold, and perhaps not just for the UK region as well. Second, UK definitely has. Uh, more PlayStation consoles around than Xbox, but that is also kind of true for most regions. So maybe this point doesn't actually matter. Lastly, this data only tracks the physical copies sold, and not digital. So perhaps the distribution share sold through Xbox is higher relative to its physical copies sold. Now then, onto what I've been thinking about the success of Game Pass. I'll um. I was wondering what if the success of Game Pass has resulted in a change in Xbox players' consumption habits of gaming. I came across this thought while reading some comments from Xbox players mentioning that they haven't gone around to buying this, and since they have Game Pass and have other games that they could be playing instead of spending the full price tag of this game. Game Pass is so good. Players can now just pay something like what fifteen dollars every month and get access to hundreds of games as well as future upcoming Xbox exclusive titles and other deals that they're making. So why would they want to buy a new AAA game like RE8 when they have like ten other games that they want to play and still haven't, and they're all available on Game Pass? This makes Xbox players more sensitive towards their spending, since for every game. Every new game coming out now, they will be wondering, "Hey, why not just buy? Why not just play the games I have on Game Pass?" Another thing, indie games are already、um, suffering now due to subscriptions. For example, people on the internet often say,、uh, "Why should I buy this 15 buck indie game when I think it'll just be on PS Plus or Xbox Live Gold later down in the line?" Game Pass makes this problem even worse for indies. And it's even encroaching on AAA territories too. I think, since a lot of AAA games are also on Game Pass, 
I wouldn't put it myself is subscribers expect that down in the line, this new AAA game will appear on Game Pass. This really alters Xbox Game Pass gamers' time horizon and new game spending. Again, this model is good for Xbox and consumers, but it doesn't seem to be good for those that aren't involved in the ecosystem, i.e. third-party developers. Also, even if you are a third-party and Xbox got your game on Game Pass, as we've seen last week with how much Epic is paying for some of their game deals, um, for you know the free games on Epic Game Store, perhaps a lot of indie developers are also getting ripped off in these deals as opposed to you know just selling it. But also because of Game Pass, players may not even want to buy them because they'll just expect that they belong on Game Pass. The argument I see a lot is that they would say, hey, this indie game may not have gotten the exposure it needed to be getting any sales on its own. Or people may say, I wouldn't have bought it and played it, but since it's on Game Pass, I'll just give it a try. And here's the thing, this is actually a valid uh, thing uh, that they say, but that also doesn't mean Game Pass is net better for these devs entirely. As the one data point for RE8 is telling me, is that the Xbox system could kind of be trapping the new games coming out on the system to have less sales than normal if there wasn't a, a Game Pass, right? That directly means less money for devs to be selling games on the Xbox system. And perhaps that would mean Xbox sees this too. And they would have to make a deal with these devs to buy their games, to put it on Game Pass for a limited time, and each deal is obviously different. But some deals I'm sure won't be worth it for Xbox 2. But what if they have no choice, you know? Again, this is a hypothetical situation, but what if a big publisher launches a big AAA franchise game on Xbox and see that the numbers don't match up to what they usually do and determined that the game wasn't a problem, because, for example, what, you know, PlayStation sold well, it sold well on PlayStation, and find out that the problem is because of Game Pass, and they get in a situation, a situation where the publisher, you know, may ask for Xbox to pay them money to put on Game Pass to replace the money that they could have earned if not for Game Pass. You know, kind of like the story from last week about Sony and Epic's cross-play uh, deal, that they made, which now is revealed to everyone. Or Xbox Game Plus players would grow to such an extent and, you know, kind of force Xbox to add more content. Otherwise, they would cancel the subscription. What if it comes down to that route? You know, what was supposed to be a good thing suddenly turned into sort of a cannibalistic cycle of players buying less games, but it also makes Game Pass more profitable because they're all going to Game Pass. You know, third-party AAA and indies are less profitable just by selling games on the system because less players are buying them. Xbox using their Game Pass money uh, to, you know, pay for some of these games and put it on Game Pass eventually to subdue these players. But the deal may not be worth it for the developers as opposed to, you know, just selling it normally without Game Pass there. And, you know, the cycle continues, right? So this really reminds me of Amazon where they would present to have such a good deal um, to many things and, you know, being so sort of in the image of being so consumer friendly that even if they have bad practices of ripping off um, storefronts that sell through Amazon or even sometimes outright take their business away, consumers and the law would usually just let that slide. Um, 
certainly seems like a likely scenario or a possible scenario going forward. Uh, with the with the ending being bad for developers, you know, selling games on Xbox, and if you have to get a uh, deal to be a Game Pass game, it you know could be a bad deal if you don't have the negotiation power there. Again, this is all just some food for thought here. Okay, and with that said, I will end it here today. Thank you all for listening. If you wish to follow me, you can find me at GameBizPod on Twitter. Tune in next week for another. And I'll see you later. Bye.